It was the genius of Judaism to see that the primary social good is knowledge. The simplest and most effective way of creating a society of equal dignity is to make knowledge equally accessible to all. The symbol of this was the Ark, the container of the most important of all bodies of knowledge, namely the Torah. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 83, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Dagon. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Toward the beginning of one of the most famous movies of all time, an archaeologist is visited at the University of Chicago by a Major Eaton of U.S. Army Intelligence, and together they discuss a grave and present danger to national security. The Nazis are on the trail of the long-lost Ark of the Covenant. Major Eaton asks the archaeologist, and I'm drawing here from the movie script, what's this Ark look like? And Harrison Ford, playing Indiana Jones, replies, look like? Why, it's right here. And then the script reads, quote, Indy pulls a big format book from the stack on his lectern and flips through the pages until he finds a large color print. The other men gather to look. The print fills the screen. It shows a biblical battle. The Israelite army is vanquishing an opposition force. At the forefront of the Israelite ranks, two men carry the Ark of the Covenant, a beautiful gold chest crowned by two sculptured gold angels. The men do not touch the Ark itself. Rather, they carry it by use of two long wooden poles which pass through rings in the corners of the Ark. The painting is very dramatic, full of smoke, tumult, and sinewy dying men. But the most astonishing thing in the picture is the brilliant jet of white light and flame issuing from the wings of the angels. It pierces deep into the ranks of the retreating enemy, wrecking devastation and terror. End quote. And then according to the script, Eaton says, Good God! And Indy replies, Yes, that's what the Hebrews thought. And then another intelligence officer, Colonel Musgrove, says, What's that supposed to be coming out of there? And Indy replies, Who knows? Lightning, fire, the power of God. And Eaton says, I'm beginning to understand Hitler's interest in this thing. And Indy then says, Oh yes, the Bible tells of it leveling mountains and wasting entire regions. Moses promised that when the ark was with you, your enemies will be scattered and your foes fell before you. An army which carries the ark before it is invincible. That's what Indiana Jones says. And then the script reads, quote, Eaton and Musgrove exchange worried looks, end quote. All this, of course, is from Steven Spielberg's masterpiece, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And of course, ultimately, when the Ark is discovered and opened, its power destroys, or rather melts, the Nazis. But is it true that an army that wields the Ark is invincible? It is not true. Though, the ancient Israelites also thought that the Ark would ensure their victory. But they too were wrong, and their mistake lies at the heart of our next story in the book of Samuel. As we saw yesterday, the book of Samuel begins with the tale of Hannah quietly praying. Eli, the high priest and judge, seeing only her lips moving, believes her to be drunk, but God knows that she is actually pouring her heart out to the Almighty. This hints to us a larger theme throughout this biblical book. As we will see, many stories will involve a society that sees only the superficial, in contrast to God, who is able to look directly to the essence of the matter. We will see this theme in our story now as well. In the last moment of Ailey's leadership, war is waged against the Philistines. Ailey's children, Hophni and Phinehas, priests serving in the temple, see their priesthood as license for reckless abandon and personal pursuit of pleasure rather than sacred obligation. 
abusing their power terribly. And this war, and the destruction that it will wreak, has come as God's punishment. Samuel, as a young boy being raised in their tabernacle, hears the prophecy come to him in the voice of God. Chapter 2, verse 11. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that hears it shall tingle. And that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. As Israel goes out to engage the enemy, the people bring out of the tabernacle its most sacred item, the Ark of the Covenant. This throne of God, they believe, will ensure that the Almighty will fight on their behalf. Chapter 4, verse 3. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us out of the hands of our enemies. In other words, the Israelites think that an army that bears the Ark is invincible. But they see the Ark superficially, because the Ark is not a talisman. It is a symbol of what is within. And that, of course, is the tablets of the law, God's commandments the symbol of the covenant between God and Israel. The cherubim sitting atop the ark are meant to embody and inspire the embrace of God by Israel. The Israelites see the ark superficially. The ark is for them a weapon, nothing more. But when the ark is seen only as a weapon, it doesn't work. The ark does not melt the Philistines as it does the Nazis at the end of Spielberg's film. In fact, the ark does nothing at all. Israel is defeated and the ark is taken captive. A messenger comes from the battle and tells Eli, who is seated before the tabernacle, the news. Verse 17. And the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been also a great slaughter among the people, and thy two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. And it came to pass, when he made mention of the ark of God, that he fell off the seat backwards by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. This moment marks the end of Shiloh as the center of worship for the Jewish people, and the ark will not find a permanent edifice as a resting place until the temple will be built decades later. Meanwhile, the Philistines, who also see the ark superficially, perhaps as a god that they have captured and imprisoned, bring it to their temple dedicated to their god, Dagon. Chapter 5 And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Evan Haezer to Ashdod, When the Philistines took the Ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And they of Ashdod rose early on the morrow, and behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the Ark of the Lord. In other words, the Philistines, who think their God has triumphed, are in the end also embarrassed as their idol is made, as it were, to bow down before the Ark. The Philistines are then painfully punished, verse 6. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod, and he destroyed them and smote them with swellings, Ashdod and the surrounding area. The Philistines, panicking, send the ark elsewhere, but wherever it goes, punishment strikes. And in the end, they are forced to return the ark. The ark is brought to the Israelites in Beit Shemesh. But because the Israelites there, seemingly rejoicing in this victory, disrespectfully look upon the ark, they too are punished with a terrible plague. The ark is therefore taken and stored in the home of an individual Israelite. Chapter 7, verse 1. And the men of Kiryat Yarim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it unto the house of Avinadav on the hill and sanctified Elazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. The story thus inspires us to ask why is the ark the throne of God in the tabernacle? If it is not a weapon, 
What is truly the source of what makes it special, singular? The answer, of course, can be found in what lies inside the Ark. Interestingly, reading the IMDb movie website about Raiders of the Lost Ark, I saw the following, quote, All three archaeologists in the film refer to the Ark as having pieces of the stone tablets on which the Ten Commandments were written, which were then dashed to pieces at the bottom of the mountain by an angry Moses. According to the Bible, however, the broken stone tablets were replaced by the whole ones, and it was the second set which was stored in the Ark, along with the budding staff of Aaron and a measure of manna, end quote. To which I say, wrong, IMDb. In fact, in this, Steven Spielberg is correct, because the Talmud establishes that luchot v'shivrei luchot munachim ba'aron, that both the broken and whole tablets were in the Ark, which means that the Ark contained both the sacred original tablets of Sinai that were made entirely by the fiery finger of God, as well as the second whole set that was brought down by Moses on the first Yom Kippur as a sign of God's forgiveness. The Ark embodied both law and love through the Torah that the tablets contained. And the cherubim atop the Ark represent the marriage between God and Israel that the Torah brings about. The Ark's message for the rabbis is that the Torah is the true source of our strength and the secret of our endurance. It is the symbol of our chosenness, the source of our inspiration, and the truest weapon in our outlasting our enemies. Thus it is that in Ashkenazic liturgy, when the Torah scrolls are taken out of the Ark in the synagogue, the congregation intones the words of Moses about the Ark of the Covenant. Arise, O Lord, and may your enemies be scattered. The Torah, the heart of the Jewish people's chosenness, is the source of our eternity, and it is, we believe, why we remain, even as our enemies end up on the ash heap of history. It is interesting that the makers of the Lost Ark movie clearly knew that Jews connected the Torah and the synagogue to the Ark of the Covenant because the film's creators took some of the synagogue prayers from that moment in the service and put it into the movie. That is why, as many note, Indiana Jones's enemy, the evil archaeologist Belloc, when he prepares to open the Ark of the Covenant, is shown in the film saying the Aramaic words from the prayer Brich Shmei, liturgy commonly said in synagogue, right before the Torah is paraded through the sanctuary. But leaving the movie aside for a moment, there is a very serious point here. It is the tablets, the Torah within the Ark, that makes the Ark of the Covenant the Ark of the Covenant. And we must understand what it means when we say that the Jewish people saw the Ark's truest greatness in the Torah that lay within it. It is true, of course, that the great heroes of Judaism made their genius manifest in their explications of the Torah. Rabbi Akiva, Rashi, Maimonides, and so many others. But for Jewish tradition, the source of the Torah's inspiration, the source of the Ark's inspiration, is to be found in the fact that the Torah is not for those great minds alone, but for all members of the Jewish people. Famously, at the end of the Raiders movie, the army intelligence officers take the Ark from Indy and promise him that they will perform research upon it, saying, we have top men working on it right now. And Indy says, who? And the reply famously is, top men. In the end for us, ladies and gentlemen, it was not only the top minds of the Jewish people that engaged the Torah, that loved the Torah. All the people engaged and loved the Torah. This point was made remarkably by the rabbis, who note that in the Pentateuch's description of the creation of the tabernacle, the instructions to create the altar, the menorah, and the other objects are given in second-person singular, such as, vi'asita, you shall make, 
But the commandment about the ark is phrased in the plural, ve'asu aron, and they shall make an ark. This the rabbis understood as teaching us something about the Torah within the ark. Thus the rabbinic texts tell us. Rabbi Judah, son of Rabbi Shalom, said, The Holy One, blessed be he, said, Let them all come and occupy themselves with the ark, in order that they may all merit the Torah. Rabbi Sachs, in a wonderful essay on what the ark embodies for the history of Judaism, cites this rabbinic statement, and then comments as follows, quote, It was the genius of Judaism to see that the primary social good is knowledge, the simplest and most effective way of creating a society of equal dignity is to make knowledge equally accessible to all. The symbol of this was the Ark, the container of the most important of all bodies of knowledge, namely the Torah, the written constitution of Israel as a nation under the sovereignty of God. If everyone has a knowledge of the law, then everyone is, in the fullest sense, a citizen. End quote. The point is profound. The Jews revere their Torah experts, and rightly so. But the Ark reminds us that the Torah is for all. We have discussed earlier how the cherubim represent the loving embrace by God of all Israel. And this means that the Torah inside the Ark is also for all Israel. Rabbi Sachs similarly adds, quote, With a touch of exaggeration, the historian Paul Johnson calls Judaism an ancient and highly efficient social machine for the production of intellectuals. It was, of course, not the production of intellectuals that motivated the Judaic love of learning, but rather the idea that a society structured around divine law should be one in which everyone had equal access to knowledge and therefore equal dignity as citizens in the republic of faith. It was and remains a beautiful idea, hinted at for the first time in the simple yet resonant detail, that though all else in the tabernacle was constructed by individuals, you, the ark, belonged to everyone. They, seldom, has so slight a nuance signaled so high an ethical and intellectual ideal. End quote. So are by Sachs writes, and I would add, that just as Hannah's story is about seeing beyond the superficial and understanding what is truly within, so too, with the Ark, Israel ultimately came to understand that it was the Torah within that was the secret of its eternity. In the end of the Raiders movie, we see a man in the secret U.S. Army warehouse pushing a crate containing the Ark. The script concludes as follows, quote, Soon we see that the aisle is formed by huge stacks of crates. They come in many shapes and sizes, but when it comes right down to it, they all look like the one that holds the ark. All have markings like the message we've just seen. Pretty soon, we're far enough and high enough away from the little old government warehouseman to see that this is one of the biggest rooms in the world, and it is full. Crates and crates, all looking alike all gathering dust, and then we notice that the little old government warehouseman, pushing his new crate ahead of him, has turned into another aisle and disappeared from view. The end. Fade out. End quote. We will discuss in a future episode what ultimately occurred to the Ark, but in truth the Ark was never lost to us, precisely because the Jewish people never relegated the Torah that the Ark embodied to storage. We kept it with us at all times. That is why so many other ancient civilizations have faded out. But Jews learn and love the Torah still. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.